This is MuggleCast, the Harry Potter podcast discussing everything about J.K. Rowling's wizarding world. This week's episode is sponsored by Blue Apron. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free, including free shipping, by going to blueapron.com slash MuggleCast. New episodes of MuggleCast are made possible thanks to listeners like you. Please visit patreon.com slash MuggleCast to support the show and help us grow. In exchange, you'll receive exclusive benefits, including an ad-free version of our podcast. Welcome to MuggleCast episode 314. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Micah. This is our first weekly episode. (laughs) How do I put that? (laughs) It's our first in our new weekly series new MuggleCast weekly series and we are joined by our first guest listener host sophia hello sophia thanks for joining us yeah uh hi andrew thanks for having me so tell us a little bit about yourself where where are you from how long you been a harry potter fan uh yeah um so i'm originally from like an hour north of chicago and i'm currently in pennsylvania for school and uh, I've been a fan of Harry Potter for, I guess, like 10 years now. I started reading the books like a year after I watched all the movies in 2008, which is a little weird. And uh, I started listening to MuggleCast in 2010, so it's been like seven years now. Awesome. So we want to do something with all of our guest listeners to get a feel of you as a Harry Potter fan. Uh, so we're going to call this your fandom ID, and we're going to do this with each guest listener. So what is your favorite Potter book? Uh, I think I'm echoing a sentiment that you guys have. It's Prisoner of Azkaban. Yes. Okay. Okay. How about favorite movie? Uh, Sorcerer's Stone. Ooh. Character? Luna Lovegood. (laughs) And what's your Hogwarts house, according to Pottermore? Hufflepuff. Now, do you agree with your sorting? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> okay, good. How about Ilver Morning House? Hakwaji. <laughs> do, uh, do you like that one? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I feel like it's the Hufflepuff of Ilver Morning, so mm-hmm. it works. Okay, yeah, I think most people agree with you there. How about your Patronus? It's a uh, mongrel dog. Ooh, what on earth? <laughs> I don't know a lot about dogs, but I looked it up and it's sort of like... A mixed breed dog. Okay, okay. And then finally, what is your fir- favorite birdie bot every flavor bean? I want to say toast. Ooh. Okay, toast is good. Especially for this <laughs> time of the morning when we're recording. Just yeah, pop yes, one exactly. in and you're all set. Literally. I, um, exactly. Toast is probably like the only birdie bot bean that is actually supposed to be good, right? All the other ones are like joke bad, uh, grass and vomit and earwax. Yeah. I got to be honest. I don't think I've ever had Birdie Bot every flavored beans because mm-hmm. I'm just not a fan of jelly beans. Mm-hmm. You got to fix that. I'm a bad fan. Yeah. Well, yeah, Andrew, next time so. you're in Orlando uh, at the Wizarding World, why don't you go pick up some? <laughs> oh, well, funny you say that. That was actually just two days ago. I'm actually recording this from Orlando. Uh, and uh, Eric will be very pleased to know. Eric, I'm breaking some news to you right now. Yeah. I recorded a video at Universal on Friday, and I just posted it on Patreon. I saw a nice shirt, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yes, I was sporting my uh, red MuggleCast That's t-shirt. what he was doing, Andrew. <laughs> what? Uh, watching the video. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, but Actually, speaking of MuggleCast t-shirts, 
We now have a very limited quantity of t-shirts available online, left over from our Patreon giveaway. You can uh, go to MuggleCast.com and grab one. Uh, they're $22. We're only doing U.S. U.S. We're only shipping to the U.S. Um, I'm sorry about that, but that's just the way it is. <laughs> we just need to do that to keep the cost down and the, the workload down. Uh, so check out MuggleCast.com and you will find a link if you scroll down a little bit on the homepage to order the shirt. Again, limited sizes, limited quantities. We're just selling the remainder that we had left over. They're about $22 and that includes shipping. Yeah, you can choose so one, of, your chance. one of two designs, really, really nice designs that worked out by the same woman who does, who's done all our pit designs in the past. So. Yeah, they're great shirts. Yeah. So um, definitely check those out. Anyway, uh, so on today's episode, so the, the, fantasi- the, the Fantastic Beast Blu-ray is now available. Did we all purchase it? We did. Yes. And, and watch it? Yes. Mm-hmm. What, I, well, I watched the features. I haven't rewatched the film yet. I haven't either. I gotta be honest. I rewatched. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, really? So, you did? Yeah, I did. I uh, well, because I got a lot of flack. I think it was last episode or two episodes ago for not having seen it really in a theater after yeah. we saw it at uh, Carnegie Hall, Andrew. Obstructed yeah. view, not really good surround, bad sounds. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We had, we were watching from a weird angle. Mike and I were making out the entire time, so he wasn't even it's really very watching. distracting. So, Mike, and now yeah. that now that you've I gotta ask, now that you've seen the movie, what did you think? <laughs> what did you think? Uh, I I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah. <laughs> he says six months after the movie comes out, <laughs> it was really good, good movie. I, you know that was a good movie. <laughs> I mean, it does look. There is something to be said for uh, watching a Blu-ray on your home screen if you have a big screen, like I do. Um, it's it's good. Even watching these special features, the deleted scenes, even everything looks more vibrant and beautiful when it's you know an inch from your. Well, I, I sit like a, you know, three feet from my TV, but still. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the first Blu-ray I've purchased in a very long time. <laughs> That's a good point, actually. I can't remember the last one I yeah. bought. It's true. I, I had to bust out the uh, the PlayStation 4 to uh, to play the Blu-ray. Yeah. That was that was my case, too. I have a PlayStation 3, but I never use it. I only bought it for Blu-ray basically years ago in mm. Grand Theft Auto, but then I sold that. Um, so, and I, I like my controllers were dead. So I had to go buy a new wire cause I couldn't find the wire to charge a wireless controllers. Anyway, it's a real pain in the butt, well, geez, but I guys. did manage <laughs> go on. to watch. Yeah, no, I mean, I only bought it for, so we could talk about it on the show. Well, that, that makes you sense. Know? I bought it cause I, you know, it's something I'd like to own as well, but I'm going to start a society for Andrew and Micah appreciating their playstations cause the PS4 and the PS3 are good systems and, uh, maybe I'll gift you guys some games for your birthdays or something so you can play them more. Don't, often. don't bother because I seriously right now have my PlayStation 3 listed on eBay because oh my after God. I'm never <laughs> using it again. Well, it's a good thing there's not going to be any more Blu-rays coming out of Harry Potter movies that we have to talk about on the show. Yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful that by the time Fantastic Beast 2 Blue, Blues, Blue, Fantastic Beast 2's Blu-ray comes out, they will start putting deleted scenes on the digital release. Mm. Which they really should have for this. The, the, yeah. the special features weren't a part of the digital release. Otherwise, that's, I just would have bought that. I'd say that's a fair point, especially because of how much that's being pushed now. Like, the, the digital release for Fantastic Beast happened weeks ago. Um, but right. it was also the available in the combo. Uh, yeah. So Yeah, that's right. You could uh, take your pick, DVD, Blu-ray, or digital, if you spent mm-hmm. the, uh, what was it? It was like 25 bucks, 30 bucks. 
Yeah, just about twenty twenty four ninety nine. There was a, a steelbook version uh, at Best Buy for for five dollars more, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but it seemed to have comparable features. Oh, actually, that was for the four uh, K release because I do not have a four K TV, so there was no four K. I don't even know what four yes four K HD four K UHD Micah. You know back know? in. Back in my day, we had 16 colors on our television. Yeah, we now, got to call, call Kevin Steck. We He'll tell VHS. you what. Yes, pop in the we'll, cassette. Well, seriously, Kevin has the best television I've ever seen in my life. We got to call him up. He'll tell you all about it. Well, Sophia, what did you think? Let's get uh, your initial thoughts on Fantastic Bees. Yeah, have you rewatched it since owning it on home video? Yeah, um, I actually got the digital a couple weeks ago and watched it. And, like, yeah, I think it's a really good movie. Not like I also saw it a couple times in the theater, so there wasn't a whole lot like new I noticed. But like I, I still I wanted to sit down and just be like, I know it's Harry Potter. Do I still like it besides that? And I do. Good. Mm. That's that's great. Yeah. It's good to ask yourself that question, and it's even better when that answer is yes. You know, <laughs> uh, I was looking for what uh, Gina had pointed out with the conversation between Graves and Credence where there was... Yeah, what do you think? I would need to know the exact moments because I was listening for Johnny Depp, but I didn't hear it. Okay. And again, it may just be that I need to know the exact scene between them or the exact lines that she was referring to, but I I tried to uh, see if I could notice it. I didn't really notice that much of a difference. Seeing this movie again, and I, as I, I will be, you know, I just needed more time. Um, but uh, I expect to find lots of new things or even just appreciate old detail, costumes and all that sort of thing. Because, you know, when you're watching it in a theater and it's an event, you're kind of focused more on the dialogue, I think. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be paying extra attention to the world around the characters next time. So the real reason I bought the Blu-ray and and our main discussion today, we're going to be talking about the deleted scenes and one feature at in particular, which was called Before Harry Potter, A New Era of Magic Begins. Yeah. Let's start with the deleted scenes. Let's. Who wants to lead us through I'll, that? I'll do it. There are 13. Okay, 13 deleted scenes. Oh, no, 12. Now, did you watch these with True Black on, or did you watch them... <laughs> I did not go to Kevin's something else. in New York. Yeah, um, no, I... Okay. Standard HDTV, nothing special about it. So we'll we'll go through, we'll we'll give the official names of the deleted scenes, which I often find to be kind of funny. Um, yeah, those are interesting. They, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if they provide really any more insight into the actual scene, um, because a lot of times there are these names and then what actually happens in them has nothing to do with it. So uh, we'll start off with major investigation department. Um, So this scene takes place uh, shortly after uh, Tina has brought Newt uh, before Serafina and Graves. She kind of barges in on them when they're busy talking. uh, And um, it's a, it's a bit of a different light that we see Graves in because what happens is, Graves goes to try and catch up with Tina and Newt um, before they go down to uh, her office. And um, I think it it shines a little bit of a light on a potential previous relationship between the two of them. Or I guess we could ask the question, is there an interest from Grindelwald uh, as it relates to Tina? Tina? Yeah. What did you guys think? 
he definitely gets closer to her than you would think would be normal. Um, and in fact, yeah. the entire the entire scene, if you look at Eddie, he's just like Newt, just as like does not know how to deal with this because Graves gets really close and is like uh, Tina, and he like pulls out a handkerchief and wipes the like mustard off of her lip. Um, right, it's just like I'll be down shortly and leaves. Um, <laughs> it's it's a li- it's oddly intimate, like it's just oddly there's something passing. Between them, my immediate thought was um, it's reminiscent of Dirt on Your Nose from, you know, the train scene in, in the first book movie. But it's also I, I think it does hint at some kind of previous romantic tension at the very least. Yeah, because why else would that exist? It's 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 it'd be creepy otherwise if a guy just walks up to random women I guess she wasn't so random, but just randomly walks up to somebody and is like, oh, mustard, here, let me wipe that off, essentially, <laughs> from your lip. And, 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 so Why didn't he just I, let her think, get it? I And we know that there's a lot more that J.K. Rowling wants to tell us about Tina. We didn't really get much about her backstory. I think it explains her her mood in the in the film, which I think has been widely discussed as being kind of bland uh i was personally bored with her the mm. honest trailer for fantastic piece did you guys see that they no, called what her happens. hermione which was hilarious i thought and right on the dot right on the nose um uh yeah so i i think there's something there and then they decided to cut the scene because like it doesn't really we don't learn more about what is going on between them or what went on between them and then like you said micah like what what it, could there have possibly have been something between Grindelwald and Tina? That doesn't make sense. Because wouldn't Tina be, like, weirded out by this guy wiping mustard off of her lip? I, I if, think, yeah. A little bit, yeah. Like, you know, yeah. For, so maybe it had to have been Graves and Tina, something mm-hmm. going on there. Well, Ka- Catherine did, uh, Catherine Waterston did an interview recently. I am uh, failing to find the quote at the moment. But she was asked specifically about um, the mustard deleted scene. And what she had said was that it was part of larger characterization between Graves and Tina, not necessarily in the romantic type, but that it was originally just meant to flesh out that Tina had come to rely on Graves and that Graves, who in the scene is like, don't worry about the president. She's just under a lot of stress, uh, was sort of the, the line that was really supposed to be the important one, uh, because it shows sort of the relationship. Like, he is her boss, and I think there was supposed to be, I guess, a greater plot of, you know, Tina reacting when she finds out that her boss has actually been Grindelwald the whole time, because Catherine also mentions the scene where uh, they're sentenced to death, and there's that look of shock on her face. And, like, that's the mm. that's the shoe falling. That's the moment where Tina realizes Graves isn't her boss, um, but he was and has been her boss. And so that like level of familiarness or familiarity, uh, was not supposed to be, I guess, romantic necessarily, but they did have a, a close connection that was not in the film. Okay. What did you make of it, Sophia? Yeah, that's the sense I got. Like, even without this deleted scene in the movie, I definitely thought there was something going on between, you know, Graves and Tina, or, like, maybe before Graves was killed by Grindelwald or whatever happened, but, like, mm-hmm. you know, and that she probably trusted him, but, like, 
once there's that, that turning point and he, you know, he, it, and he sentences to death without really showing that he like cares about her at all, that, that, that she sort of just mm. doesn't trust that she like can't trust him, but that she really did. And so like, that's kind of heartbreaking, but like that definitely yeah. adds to like how like heartbroken Tina was in that scene. I, I yeah. think this scene does play as romantic though. Uh, which is maybe why it was cut, um, but not sure. Could have been pacing. Yeah, I, I think also just to kind of wrap it up uh, is you you don't want to give away too much of uh, Graves' character. I think to initially have him go and be almost apologetic for what happened mm. it takes a little bit away yeah. from the seriousness that you see from him. You know, really in in his opening scene. Um, when he's surveying the destruction of of one of oh, the, that's a good uh, point. the homes that was destroyed by the obscura, so mm-hmm. uh, that's just uh, I don't. Know. I, but I, I yeah, agree. so he has sort of mixed signals. Yeah, I would be surprised if you know, we learn a little bit more as it relates to the history between both Graves and Tina. I, I do think believe that there is uh, there's something there. I think it's important. Mm for nothing else than the Tina backstory too. Like we're going to have to learn more about that character. It it wasn't done the greatest in this film. So there should be more backstory and maybe she'll mention, you know, graves in a future film or something and how they were close. I I think it'll come through the wash. The interesting thing, you know, as we go through these deleted scenes too, is that none of them do with the exception of maybe this one, uh, none of them give a whole lot away as far as plot of future books or any indication at all. These deleted scenes are all very safe. And I actually really hate mm. that. I I can't mm. stand that. But it's it's still like very interesting to go through these. Um but they're they all seem to be, you know, fairly um what's the word? Like just not uh re- like, not like detrimental to any kind of future spoilers or, or any kind but of indication of the future I mean, plot. That's yeah. That's done because, you know, if you're David Heyman or David Yates, you don't want to potentially tip your hat in any way, shape, or form. Sure. Before we continue with today's episode, it's time to remind everybody that MuggleCast is brought to you by Blue Apron. They are the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. I am currently a Blue Apron subscriber. I am loving it. I'm loving having all this food sent right to my house. Cook it very easily. They make it easy thanks to the instructions that they give you with pictures with clear directions, and make somebody like me, who's not an experienced cook, suddenly become a good cook. Let me tell you a few of the meals that are on the schedule this month. Parmesan-crusted chicken with creamy fettuccine and roasted broccoli, baby broccoli and fontina paninis with hard-boiled egg and a regular salad, a spinach and fresh mozzarella pizza with olives and bell peppers. These are some of the options you can choose from Blue Apron. They let you decide your menu. They give you options. You s- they say pick three. You pick the three, and those are your meals for this week. So check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash mugglecast. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash mugglecast. Blue Apron is a better way to cook. The next scene uh, that we'll uh, talk about, speaking of broken relationships, is (laughs) Jacob and Mildred. And uh, uh-huh. this was a scene, I believe, that leaked online uh, before the Blu-ray uh, was released. And uh, 
it's a scene I think that a lot of people spoke about because it showed uh, Jacob in a very vulnerable moment just after coming back from uh, being at the bank and not getting the loan for the bakery. And uh, mm-hmm. I know we, we've discussed it a little bit on the show, and, and I think, Andrew, you've said that you are happy that it's not in the movie. Uh, I tend to agree with that. I think it would have just uh, had this one character appear for a very brief period of time with very little introduction and uh, make it seem that all she cared about was uh, whether or not Jacob was able to uh, get some money. And mm. I don't know that's yeah, the she best was, she... way to do that. Yeah, she was reduced to a role in which all she cares about is money. You mean and it no seems, money? seems yeah, yeah it, 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 we had initially found out about it through one of the Fantastic Beasts books that came out, one of these tie-in books. Oh yeah, you're right. And so I guess the scene was in the movie for a while, at least while they were putting the, together this book and then they cut the scene and it was too late to change the book. So a couple of photos had come out. That's that's what you were thinking, Michael, when you said it 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 leaked. Oh. Um but yeah, so I, I didn't like the scene because of how, what she was reduced to. And maybe that's what they realized. And maybe that's why it was cut. That said, it would have added to Jacob's arc going from losing his fiance to having this new relationship with Queenie. So it would have enhanced that arc. That said, he had a really great arc. <laughs> we yeah. were all raving about the arc. Yeah, yeah. So. Like this, this is just an addition of like it's the worst day in Jacob Kowalski's life. <laughs> like, like one right. more, one more rung of the le- like. It just would have been, I think, maybe too much. Um, mm-hmm. The question that Overdone, I have watching yeah. this, yet yeah, um, the question that I have watching this scene is: is the ring that's supposed to be on Mildred's hand is that mimed? Because I'm looking through it and she like reaches down, but her hand is actually out of shot. And then she like puts her hand in his palm and then he closes. It just doesn't seem like there's actually a ring there. Like I I know I focus on like the minute detail, but it just it wasn't believable for me because I didn't see the ring she was taking off her hand. Like I'm sure it's there. I but don't know. Whatever. It's just weird. Um, well, we'll say, no offense watched, to the actors. Uh, all the additional features of this Blu-ray, I can guarantee you that given the level of detail that's put into this film, I, I, the ring yeah. is there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, just that it wasn't clear. Like, oh, there was no close-up of like, this is what I'm giving back to you because you failed. Um, and then he, But then he goes in. I, I just thought the way it is in the film is great. Like, he goes home and apologizes to the memory of his grandmother. Um, like, that, that sold it. That's fine. Um, yeah. I'm sorry, Grandma. I'm sorry, Grandma. <laughs> Next scene. Next scene. Uh, Newt's case. And uh, this was one I'm confident leaked online because I saw it myself before uh, I watched it on the Blu-ray. <laughs> and that was uh, the introduction of the rune spore, right? The three-headed snake. And yeah. uh, it was kind of a, a comical moment um, as Newt is kind of walking Jacob through and... Um, you know, he jokes about normally being afraid of snakes, and then we see you know the massive rune spore appear behind him. But prior to that, um, there's a, a little bit of a joke between um, Newt has one of the rune spore heads kind of coned like a like a dog that's just been neutered or spayed is what I thought of. Um, yeah, cone of shame. Yeah, it's a cone of shame, and um, it's so that this snakehead doesn't bite the others and and so 
Um, I thought it was a nice sort of tie back to something that we would be familiar with. Uh, but I'm, I mean, I'm fine. I don't, I don't feel one way or the other about the scene being deleted. It, it just. This is one of those scenes that was like, okay, I can see why it was cut. Bye. I mean, I, I don't know that it like delays any kind of like I, it would if they've already completed the CGI effects. Like, what is there really like a reason not to include it? Because it, it, I think the more beasts that you have in the case, the more wonder in the world there is. Like. If they like, I really want to know why it was cut. Just because, is there any downside to having that scene in the in the film? It slows the pacing down. <laughs> but we I, didn't is, want to ruin the pacing. It's sort of a funny joke. I will say though that like that head is so small with the cone on it that you could see that creature and be looking at mm-hmm. one of its other heads and not even notice the cone. But it's a very funny joke. Yeah, yeah. It would have been so. funnier if Jacob turned around and saw the massive. Uh, rune spore and kind of freaked him out a little bit <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh yeah i mean not too much to that scene and and really not too much to the next one um which is called makusa spell uh cell and yeah. um this is when new tina and jacob are are locked up after um tina has brought them in and uh graves is uh about to interrogate them and the two creepy women whose names i don't know uh show up to uh take them out of their cell and put them in shackles and there there really just wasn't a whole lot to this there's a very creepy mr graves would like to see you now line um <laughs> reminiscent of like horror he would films. like to he would like to wipe more mustard off of your face <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. you're unclean you're impure we must get the pureness out yeah. no, is, is there something i'm missing from this scene i mean it just it was i didn't understand it either i know they no this is more of an no. extended scene than a deleted scene really, yeah because they come and get right. them in the movie i think i think the difference is newt saying we're gonna miss you jacob it was wonderful we had a great time no, as no, they're being led away Oh, he says that in the movie? That's in the movie? Well, then what? It's, this, yeah, this, I think it's just something. the physical yeah. opening of the cell. Tina puts her hands out to be shackled, and then they that is – I don't believe that part of it right there is, it makes it to the actual film. Okay. So it's, All right. So Tina just surrendering or, or just like being like, okay, I understand this is what has to happen. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Uh, the next scene is called – Creo Creatura, and I don't know why, but uh, <laughs> this takes place on the streets of New York following their escape uh, from Makusa, and um, they're talking through their plan to capture the rest of Newt's Beast to rescue the Obscurus, and really, um, this scene, and I forget exactly where, Sophia, maybe you know, this takes place somewhere else because it ends with them talking about... Um, finding somebody who could help them locate the demiguys. Yeah, they yeah, they have this scene instead on a roof and like Queenie and Jacob talk about pigeons while Nude and Tina like stand at the edge and they talk about Dougal and they laugh about how he's invisible and how they're never going to find him and then they get to and then Tina realizes they could go talk to Narlac. Mm, see? That's why Sophia's on the show. Yeah. Yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah. So it was it was a little transition into the Narlac scene. I know a guy. Tina says, um, "Yeah," but again, can see why it was deleted. Not necessary. Right. Uh, sure. 
And then speaking of the demiguys, there's uh, what I would call, uh, as Eric alluded to earlier, more of an extended scene, um, Mm -hmm. which starts out with Newt explaining to Tina um, that the demiguys has the ability uh, to see the immediate future. Um, And this happens on the main floor of the department store Macy's that they're in. And I thought in the movie, the explanation actually comes when they're upstairs about to try and trap the, um, the Akami. So yeah, uh, a little bit of a change there. And also the extended portion of it is the Jacob Demi guys um, interaction. I'll call it. He's not really attacked. They kind of bond in that moment when they collide together. Uh, and, and actually um, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, the actor who plays uh, is it Dan Fogler. Dan Fogler talks about that uh, in one of the features, how it seems like Jacob and and the Demi guys Dougal kind of form this bond over the course of the, <laughs> the Macy's store event. So uh, well, he tra- he drags him across the floor. Like this is not a short extended scene. This is this got this has mm-hmm. substance. Um, yeah, and it made me. Maybe it's just been a while since since I've seen the scene in the actual movie, but it made me really love the Demi guys. First of all, it's a really cute creature, and mm-hmm. I just love how it sees the most likely upcoming scenario. Yeah. So it's it's reading the future by like calculating what's most likely to happen, which is why Newt then says, "Try to be as unpredictable as possible," which is a it's joke. Just a really clever idea for a creature. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then furthermore, there's uh, Jacob and Queenie dialogue at the end of the scene. Like yeah. the whole the whole thing, it has an emotional arc in this scene alone. And I think watching the film, it was unclear to me. Like you get that the Demi guys is providing for the um, the bird, uh, like you know helping him out, watching after him. But there's not a Demi guys specific scene like there is now. Like this is that that scene, and the idea that at the end. Jacob and Queenie have a moment where they bond and Queenie is quite vulnerable. She's like, you know, it's not always the best thing in the world to be able to finish, you know, to see inside people's heads because they're not all as nice as you. Yep. And they hear a crash upstairs and they're like, oh, we should probably go help out. But it's a very tender moment. And like, we're going to answer this question later. Like, what scene do we want back in the movie? Like, this is this is that scene for me. Mm -hmm. I agree, actually, because I think we could have actually used more moments like this in the movie where we can understand why Queenie and Jacob are growing closer together. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this would have been in, a good, in, yeah. Yeah. Would have been a good ad- addition. Mm-hmm. I think, I think we could have used a couple more of those. So there was that moment. And then there was another one in these deleted scenes. Oh yeah. We're going to talk about it in a moment where uh, no, I won't, I you can if you now, want. We but... can jump to the the skyscraper okay, because I sure. feel like we've already talked a lot about the um, the suitcase celebration. Ilver Morning where... House. So, yeah. Unless uh, Sophia, you have uh, anything on the uh, the Ilver Morning House song that uh, you want to share? Uh, no. I just like you guys. I love that scene. I think we all do. The Beast really enjoyed it. Um, that was something I paid close attention to uh, watching it back. Uh, the deleted scene for this was uh, just it's amazing to me the level of detail. And I know we'll talk about that in the featured um, sections that are coming up. But um, just how the I think it's like the the baby Akami and the um, 
demiguys and even the niffler sort of respond once the song is over you can tell like they're very happy and so <laughs> it's just a nice touch that don't often realize but the uh scene andrew that you were talking about uh is called skyscraper roof and uh it's another interaction between jacob and queenie and she's about to go off and help newt and tina fight uh the obscurus and mm. He doesn't want her to go. And I think what we learn is a lot of that fear of her going is stemming from him having lost his brother in the war. And this opens up a lot of possibilities uh, in my mind because I know we've talked a lot about Newt's brother and him fighting in the war. And I wonder, was there any sort of interaction or is this just something that was thought of to put in initially and then easy to cut because it's not really an important plot point at the end of the day. Yeah. I, I don't know. They're sacrificing more Jacob Queenie character stuff for like a more streamlined narrative. I, I think that it's interesting that Jacob lost his brother in the war because I fully expect, you know, we've talked about Newt's brother, Theseus Scamander. He, get, he does get name dropped in the film and he is, he's the one assigned by the Wizarding World, uh, by the Ministry of Magic in the UK, to track and, and find and capture Grindelwald. Um, so I foresee a future in uh, a scene in the future where Jacob, where you know, if something bad happens to Theseus, you know, Jacob can really relate to Newt and being like, "Hey, my brother was lost too." And now that it's not in this movie, I don't know that that will feel as natural in a sequel uh, for Jacob to be like, "Oh yeah, my brother." You know, and and kind of getting closer to him and and trying to help him out, calm him down. Mm -hmm. The next two uh, scenes we'll take together because they're called Obscurus Unleashed Part One and Part Two. These are such great titles for deleted scenes. (laughs) (laughs) They shouldn't even title them. I know it's. They should just hear the deleted scenes. I'm glad they titled them. You wouldn't be able to tell them. I didn't even. Yeah. I didn't even know there were titles because I just hit play all. And... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I uh, I did the same thing, but then I went back in in case uh, people were you know going by the uh, the scene name. So it's always good to be specific. In uh, part one, we get uh, the Shaw office being or the the newspaper office being attacked, or you know slightly attacked. We see a little bit of a fracture of the. The window panes in the newspaper office as the Obscurus is kind of making its destructive way through New York City. Mm-hmm. And then the second one is of Newt, and he is on the street uh, with uh, some police officers, and they are uh, you know, conversing back and forth. And then all of a sudden, uh, the Obscurus is making its way towards them and flipping cars and breaking buildings and doing all sorts of damage and any thoughts there in terms of definitely should have been included or no i think the obscurest stuff there is plenty of obscure stuff in fantastic beasts so they didn't really need to add yeah i i, I like seeing newton action but there is there's also a lot of that in the film too i will say i did like the scene at the uh the newspaper office <laughs> yeah that would have made shaw more of a player character like more of an important I, I I want I want that scene back. Actually, it, it kind because... of sets up them appearing on the street uh, later on in the film. So. Yeah, they've been intimidated. They've been, mm. you know, sort of a call to action. Shaw feels he needs to deal with this thing that killed his son, 
like directly. And so he shows up at the, the, the event. All right. Well, uh, that brings us to the final deleted scene called uh, Newt's Goodbye. And um, really it's the, the aftershot of Tina walking away after Newt has got on the ship. Uh, there's there's an aerial shot of the Billywig, which makes its appearance many times throughout the course of the film. It's kind of like a guiding creature or guiding beast in a way. Uh, mm-hmm. And then... You know, it does its little flyover. Uh, I was expecting to see Credence. I did not see Credence. And then, uh, <laughs> you know, you uh, get to the uh, the street uh, where Jacob's Bakery is, and um, that's it. And uh, there isn't much to say about this scene, I don't think, except for the fact that I think most of us were probably anticipating to see uh, Credence boarding the boat, uh, which uh, was something that has been talked about for uh, quite some time. So, well, the the importance of the Billywig scene is that it places the Billywig back with Newt because it decides to go follow the boat after all. Whereas at the end of the movie that aired in theaters, it's still in New York. Like it's consi- I don't I don't know that anybody's really ever going to take the film to task if like the sequel has the Billywig with Newt because like oh what he was he was left in New York never dealt with in the film. I don't think anybody's going to care, but. It was a way of showing like the to like keeping track of all the plots and like the billywig roaming around New York City is that does that make Newt careless that one of his beasts he clearly like he sees it and Tina knows it's around, but they don't like seek to find it throughout the entire course of the film and then Newt just leaves. So it's like, oh, for me it's like you gotta show where that that it that it's gonna be okay, that it's going back with Newt. Um I would who confirmed that credence that credence scene? It was either Yates was or it Heyman. David Heyman or yeah. Somebody was, did say that they shot it. I think but, it was so David Yates. Ge- getting back to earlier in this discussion, one of you I I think Micah said that there was um that they don't want to reveal anything major in the deleted scenes because it could possibly reveal future plot points. Yeah. If that scene were to be included, that obviously would have revealed an important plot point that he is still alive, even though it was kind of hinted at towards the end of the movie when we saw that wisp of smoke go up in the air. Yeah. But, but, but that would have been more significant seeing him walk onto a boat. (laughs) Like he was trying to uh, go team up with Grindelwald again. Or is or is Credence gonna like help Grindelwald get out of prison? I wonder. I would assume that's where he would be going. <laughs> yeah, it's just <laughs> or the en- enlisting people to help him. The end of the film has all that that sort of weird time passages as well. Um, so it would have felt real soon, like considering the level of destruction that the Obscurials supposedly faced from all those witches and wizards for, for him to just recover, you know, like that, and then get on a boat fully clothed and, you know, and look fine and then, you know, go hang out with Newt or whatever, I think would have been, would have uh, hurt the, the idea that he was very seriously and very nearly destroyed. Um, So not showing him and just having it be that little, wisp of smoke that sort of gets away sort of like Voldemort reduced to, to like a wisp of smoke, yeah. you know, and it takes him a long time to recover. That's sort of what I see as being more palatable yeah. than having him just be fine because that really ups the stakes for how eventually is Credence going to be stopped or, you know, removed from, from harm, from harming others. If he's that powerful. Actually, the quote from David Heyman is, we actually had a scene which we cut, which was Credence going to a boat 
to get on a boat somewhere else, but we cut that because we didn't want to have it be such an, ah, uh, here we go. So. Oh, but that would have been a good, ah, uh, here we go. Ah, uh, here, uh, here we go. Uh, here it goes. He's still alive. I, I definitely need to see the sequel now. He goes yeah. on to say him getting on a boat, maybe a boat with Newt, maybe not, and heading off out of New York. Maybe about Damn with it, Heyman, be Maybe more not. specific. <laughs> uh, I mean, obviously, it doesn't matter if he's on a boat with Newt or not. The point is he's going to be in a future movie. That's what that scene would... <laughs> well, he's already, they confirmed that, confirm. though. Yates definitely said that, that Ezra Miller's coming back and he's signed on for more than one film. Yeah, my, my guess is gonna, he's going to try to get Grindelwald, his, his new boyfriend Grindelwald, out of... Out of prison. I don't know. He betrayed him. I think. I think. I think. Uh, Credence is totally for Newt now. Yeah, but no, really, Sophia. Yeah. Well, he he's really upset with Graves at the end. He he's he feels like Graves betrayed him. You mean Grindelwald? Well, like he, well, he doesn't know him as Grindelwald. He sees he him as Graves. Him. Oh, but, yeah. Right. Yeah. Hmm. But that could be an interesting All right, well, point, though. A... If he if he doesn't know Grindelwald and he knows Graves, maybe that's an open uh, door. So he has to him. get like reintroduced. Well, no, I'm just saying if if he he could easily be you know somehow lured over to the dark side by Grindelwald. He doesn't know Grindelwald. Yeah. He's never seen him before. So well, yeah. If Grindelwald's in prison, it would be hard to get at him without realizing. Like every wizard would be like. Did you hear the magical government's been infiltrated? It wasn't Graves after all. It was Grindelwald all along. Like, oh. I think. Does he still have the pendant? Uh, I wonder. I don't know. It's a good question. <laughs> all right. So favorite deleted scene that you wanted to keep in the movie? Let's go around the table here. I, I think for me, it would, you know, just to keep things weird, I'm going to go for the the Tina and Graves mustard <laughs> scene. I want that in there. I want that. I want more information to be revealed in future movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, yeah, I'll go. Uh, we talked about it. The Demi guys uh, dragging Jacob around scene. Um, that guy can't catch a break, but also for the touching Queenie part at the end. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree. I think the, the Demi guys scene. Uh, I'm going to go with the Billy wig just because it gives us closure with the Billy wig. Oh, there you go. So you are Aww. the type of fan that cares about that. So that's good. <laughs> Closure for the Billy Wig. Justice for the Billy Wig. <laughs> so moving on to uh, the other part we want to talk about today is this really, really good feature ad. I think besides the deleted scenes, I think this was the highlight of the Blu-ray. Mm. Tell us about this feature ad, Eric. So it's 15 minutes long and there's really oh, good yeah. music that's set to it. It's very, It's a very happy featurette it it talks really positively about get just getting back like onto the saddle of doing a new era of so it's called the new era of magic begins and it starts it starts off with jk rowling uh and she has this quote she says i was in the wizarding world in my head for 17 years and if you've been with something for 17 years it doesn't leave you it's not just that i wrote it for 17 years it's that i wrote it during a very tumultuous period of my life and it was always there for me and she said, saying goodbye to it was a bereavement. And I knew that WB at some point might want to do something for Fantastic Beasts. And then she lays the bombshell. Boom. Thesis statement. First minute of this documentary. She says, if I'm honest, that's the reason that for all these years, I've always said, never say never. 
So we always heard this from J.K. Rowling when they asked her, like, oh, seven books and that's it. And she said, never say never. I'll never say never. I'll never say never. According to this documentary, according to this featurette, the reason why is because she thought that WB would want to make a Beast's story or would want to exercise their right. But how would she? Uh, and she. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Andrew. And, and she already she always had the idea in her head for for a newt story. Right. right. Didn't she say that? Right. I don't know if I believe this. Yeah, this really. is a big claim. This is a real big yeah. claim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What were you going to say, Micah? But pretty much the uh, the same thing that you just did. It, just in terms of how would you know that WB was going to come to you specifically about <laughs> Fantastic Beasts unless you had prior conversations at some point uh, along the way. It's not just like... Warner Brothers was going to pick one of these books for charity and say, "Okay, yeah, let's make any mini mini." Yeah, mo. well, I think I think what it was is they did option, like they paid money to have the rights to both Quidditch Through the Ages and Fantastic Beasts when they bought the rights to make the Harry Potter films because as of two thousand, the year before the first Harry Potter movie came out, those books were out the the original Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. And Quidditch through the ages, right? Um, so I can kind of see it. The, the, I believe J.K. Rowling everywhere else in this feature, but this one was like a very bold statement where I was like, "Oh, that's convenient." Um, what, but she she quick yeah go on. You no, know, what what I liked about um, this the, this feature though too is that you got the groundwork, the backstory for how the Potter series came to be, and and I, I'm sure it's probably on other. Uh, Blu-rays or DVDs, or whatever you know they make movies on these days. But mm. uh, one of the things that um, kind of came back to my mind was when David Heyman was on the show um, way back on episode 200. Was it? Yeah. Uh, he talked a little bit about this, and he talked about um, I think it was wasn't it Lionel Wigram. Who is uh, yeah. you know who's in this documentary? One of the and, yeah, in this feature as well, uh, and and you get the 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 backstory for how Harry Potter came to be. Right, uh, David Heyman comes across this book in 1997, and uh, he sends it to Lionel and says, "Hey, this is this would make a great movie. Uh, you should think mm-hmm. about it." And it's always it's always interesting to me to learn how something as big as this came to be, and. Um, you know, even J.K. Rowling talked about it as she was, you know, pulling up to this field in the middle of Leavesden where they had created, recreated, and I know we'll talk about this probably on another podcast, the streets of New York. I mean, it's it's yeah. just it's unbelievable how this all came about just because David Heyman, you know, was really in the right place at the right time and sent it to the right person and, and Yeah. It's all kind of grown from there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and here's what Heyman has to say about making Harry Potter uh, all the films. He says, people talk about making an event movie or a franchise. The people that worked on this, it was never about a franchise. It was about making the best movie possible each time. So, uh, wow, did you I, just play a clip? Or was he that keep, you no, he keeps, I can't tell me. the difference. Uh, I, do a, I do a pretty sick David Heyman impression. Um, not to his face, though. You should listen to episode 200, everybody at home, because it's a good interview. <laughs> but I do not impersonate him to his face. Uh, but yeah, he uh, he basically like he's very like it, it might be damage control, but he's just like, look, we all really care about making these films. And for him to say it was it was never about an event. It was never about a franchise. I, I think is is absolutely true. 
to them. Like the, the films are a celebration of the world and the artistry of creators working in the, in this world today. Um, and I, I really feel that. So this documentary, like this feature at starting this way shows and kind of gives a lot of momentum to what they talk about the rest of the feature, which is, you know, first of all, writing the film, casting the film, and then working with, you know, creating it from a, a standpoint of what is D- David Yates's directing style. So it kind of launches into this was we wanted to make a really great film and here's how it happened. So it's mm-hmm. kind of cool. Yeah. And I do believe Heyman when he says that here, because you've always been able to tell with him, he's a genuine fan of this story of this yeah. series, just like J.K. Rowling is obviously. <laughs> and I think David Yates, and we'll turn our attention to him in a minute because he's a big focus in this feature. At mm-hmm. I think he's very passionate about this world as well. So I think they do it out of the love and hey, the money's not bad either. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so David Yates says, um, apparently David Heyman called him up and he said, would you read this script? And he said, David, I'm not quite sure I can go back, but I would love to read it. Having spent six years on four Harry Potter films, I'm not sure I felt entirely right going back, but I read it and I was absolutely enchanted and it felt so fresh, different and special. Uh, for, and, oh, yeah. yeah, Sorry. Uh, we've spoken about this before. I think we were all a little surprised when David Yates decided to come back because I think I've said this. He was exhausted at the end of Deathly Hallows. You could tell. I mean, even like doing press stuff and mm-hmm. the set visits, like it was just very clear that he was ready to take a break from the Harry Potter world. And um, and and on the other hand, people were disappointed that he was coming back because people were hopeful that there would be a new vision behind the wizarding world. If like you're going into the spinoff series set in the 1920s, you're hoping for it to be very different from Harry Potter Mm -hmm. and bringing on the same director just isn't the best way to do that. That said, it, everything turned out fine. I think they did it. So it was too big to fail. They, they put rolling Heyman and Yates all back together again, as well as Stuart Craig and all these others. And, and they, they, they did what they're great at which is making good movies. Mm-hmm. And um, since it was not based on a book, we were all very pleased by it. I continue to hear from people that they they were pleasantly surprised by Fantastic Beast because we all went in with these lower expectations, not knowing what to expect, kind of thinking like, will this win us over like the Harry Potter movies did? And of course, it's not Harry Potter, but it's, it's, it's damn good. Yeah. So uh, Yates describes the script as being all of those things that a filmmaker looks for in a piece of work that allows you as a storyteller to flex all your muscles. He says he phoned David Heyman back and said, I have to make this film. So that that's just cool, though, because <laughs> here's a guy who didn't have to make this film. Uh, he's made four of them. He's 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 produced, you know, he's directed half the Harry Potter films in existence. He does not need to come back. But after reading the script is so, you know, inspired by it, like whatever exhaustion he may have had. Um, wiped away by say you know and saying yeah. okay no I I I need to do this. So it's always that's... impressive to me when people are like I read the script and I thought it was amazing because I've read some scripts yeah and I just don't understand them. I'm like I'm so bored. Every one of these scripts <laughs> boring to me. I, you have to have a certain eye when you read scripts because you can't feel the pacing or or emotion or anything in a movie script. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's a lot Like, did anyone from... read the Fantastic Beast script book and go, I have to adapt this. This is just amazing. <laughs> I, I mean, know. and that but that was a finished project product too. Like the one that right. Joe turned in was she said like twelve pages or something, and it was just, you know, it was short. But it he anyway, there was enough in there that, that he loved it. What I didn't know, I guess it was may have been mentioned, but Joe actually retained Steve Clovis. So the guy who adapted and she doesn't really say what capacity. I'd have to look at like the credits for like if he's billed as I, I doubt it would be co-writing, but Joe uh, used Steve Clovis as a, as a resource. Basically uh, her quote is, I said from the beginning, I wanted Steve involved. And while I've written the screenplay, he's been there, which has been amazing just to have him there for advice and everything. So it's nice that, well, you know, talking about working on the, with the old team again, that Joe, you know, would bring even him on, even though it's not, yeah. there's not a book to be adapted. Well, I think we may have speculated about this. She needed help writing a script because she had never written a script before. And writing a script is a very, very different process than writing a book. You have to format it a completely different way, for starters, as we all learned when we reviewed the script in the printed version. Um, So I bet she brought – she wanted him involved for that. Maybe – he gave her some lessons. Maybe he recommended some good Mac software for writing, for writing the screenplay. And he probably helped her in terms of, he uses word a lot, but pacing and development in a script. So, yeah, the the most interesting part of this feature, at my absolute favorite part, is Joe talks about cracking the script, about developing the story, <clears throat> but she did it very much with. David Yates and David Heyman. So they all three of them would meet together. Uh, she would meet with them regularly while cracking the script. They would ask her more questions about the world, what it looked like, and she would go home that evening and have more in the morning for them. So she says on this featurette, we'd be talking and I'd go back to my hotel and write through the night and then we'd go in in the morning and we'd look at it. And Yates says, and we'd play the characters out together. And when you do that, the movie start, starts to sort of come into the room with you and as we read together we could discuss each moment and figure out how we would make certain things better so if you can imagine david yates david Heyman, and jk rowling voicing the characters that joe had written in and like reenacting the scenes and talking about this like can you just imagine how much fun that must have been for them yeah where's the video of that why wasn't yeah. that on the <laughs> i mean like the three the three top people who are responsible for Harry Potter film, uh, you know, in a room, dancing around, having, I just imagined the most amazing time. Probably dancing yeah. to uh, uh, Nick Cave, if we're being honest. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like... Don't tell Neil. There's nothing better than that. There's just nothing better than that to me. Um, so, so that was really cool. And David Yates says something very nice about Joe. He says, she's always inventing. That is what I love about her. You know, it's it's always going on in her, in her mind, like the story. And that's just what you hear from everybody about JK Rowling. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next part of the feature, on casting. Um, and just nice things are said about each of the actors by each of the other actors and the producers say nice things about the cast. And in general, the, the one part that sticks out is at the beginning, Joe says she was asked always on Potter when they wanted to cast people, but she was even more involved this time. And I think that speaks a lot to, um, you know, who these characters need to be, not just for this film, but for all of them. Uh, and there's a point in this feature where 
Catherine Waterston talks about Joe either accidentally giving away or she just can't help herself giving away to the actors, you know, future bits about their characters, what their characters might do or might be. And it's just, it's very clear that Joe has this vision, even though it's not represented here on the DVD, you know, bonus features, what exactly the film might've been or what future films may be, but Joe knows. And now these, these well, actors have does. essentially been, yeah, well, these actors have been <laughs> tasked with uh, uh, bringing it to life. Uh huh. And, you know, in this section, uh, a couple of the things that stuck out to me that you had a few quotes that you that you put here. Um, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll let it go because I'm sure it's improved over time. But again, um, our good friend uh, Newt's pronunciation of rolling. Um, oh, God. I, yeah. I, I was uh. really surprised they didn't do a retake on that. Um, <laughs> Can you just say rolling this time, like bowling? I, and I, He wasn't the only one. I think there were a couple of people on the crew that when they were interviewed did the same thing. But yeah. Um, yeah. anyway, uh, the point that Heyman made about casting a four and not casting one um, would, to me, contradict some of what they've said about Newt not being the focal point. Um, in, in some future films, because if, if you're really putting so much emphasis on casting four, uh, you would think that they will be very important to the future films. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing, actually. And I, I, it makes sense. They've built, they've built a lot of marketing and story around these characters for the first movie. So I think that this is basically, confirmation that all four characters are going to have significant roles in the future it remains to be seen how jacob will be i think that'll be the most interesting one like how mm -hmm. to, how they're going to work him in have him be a helpful muggle yeah nomad and yeah and that was the other um quote that i focused on eric was the one about jacob from jk rowling saying uh what was interesting to me was how difficult it was to find jacob he needed some acting chops you know, there are moments of pathos on which the movie hangs. And it's true. Yeah. I mean, he's really, in many ways, and we've talked about this, the centerpiece of the film. And, and one of my friends who saw the film for the first time recently said pretty much what they're going to do is they're going to endear Jacob to everybody um, and then find a way to kill him at some point in the series. <laughs> he is the emotional centerpiece, the heart. I mean, Newt is too weird. Tina is too oddball reserved not shown enough of what's going on in her head well two of them, uh, and two of them we know for certain live through the series right uh, yeah so yeah so the, i guess there is no question about them but jacob man jacob like he just has one pitfall after another that that ekes grab tugs at your heartstrings mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah that makes sense she also says about allison sudol allison's got this otherworldly quality about her which was really entrancing um, I like that. And Joe, we'll talk about this when we do a Tina specific character episode, which I'm hoping that we do soon. Um, but, uh, Joe cannot get enough of, of Tina as a character. I think she said on Twitter, like that Tina was her absolute favorite. And when I read that on her tweet, I was like, yeah, why? Yeah. But, but. I think it remains to be seen, and maybe once I get through the rest of the special features, she'll touch on it more. But essentially, Tina, Joe sees a lot of herself in Tina, and Joe sees a lot of insecurity. What she says on this featurette is that uh, the trouble with Tina as a character is she's kind of uptight. But you got to love her as well, and that's not easy. I know. 
because I know the character so well, how much insecurity lies beneath. Um, and she says, anyway, Catherine nailed it in her audition. So there's absolutely more to the Tina's character that I think in the film just did not translate. Um, and I think Joe is sort of touching on that in this, in the, you know, with that quote in the featurette, but she loves Tina. And I think so we should definitely keep our, keep an open mind about that. Any thoughts? I mean, I really liked Tina. I was, uh, I mean, I found her pretty relatable, but I understand why a lot of people were frustrated with her, but I'm excited to see what she's like in the upcoming movies based on, you know, getting her job back and gaining that confidence. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah she, she I'm does. still, I, I, uh, don't like Bormini, but maybe she will, <laughs> maybe she will, uh, enlighten me in a future movie. Yeah. Um, so they also have clips from one of the uh, roundtable things that they did for like promotion. Like I've seen this mm-hmm. before. I don't know if it was like the EW photo shoot or whatever, where they have all four of them at that table. Like apparently mm-hmm. they just did a ton of special features, like based on the video and the photos they recorded at that sit- sitting. These are all in the same clothes that we're familiar with seeing them in while sitting around that table. But they talk about the first time meeting JK Rowling and they were all flipping out. Um, which is which is really endearing to watch. You all got to watch the featurette. We won't recap everything that was said here. Um, it was very cute watching them geek out over meeting J.K. Rowling. Like you could tell they were genuinely super excited. And they actually had a camera like on set, which makes sense. But like it was back a little bit for when they actually mm-hmm. met her for the first time on set. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that was cool. Um, and then the. Uh, Last bit of uh, this featurette just talks about David Yates's directing style and everyone's really complimentary. Like David Yates, if you've met him or if you watch these interviews, he is very soft spoken. Um, But Allison uh, and everyone really say like, he doesn't have to yell. He knows exactly what he wants and he can come up to you and just be like, right. Okay. Then Uh, they even, we even hear from the uh, chastity actress. Uh, It is chastity, right? Chastity barebone. Yeah. Jen Murray says he always starts something with great and so he's, you know, he praises you for what you're doing as an actor, but is absolutely 100% going to tell you what you can do to make it better. Um, But it was all just apparently a really good working experience, they all say. Yeah. Yeah. And this actually was my favorite part of the we keep calling it a feature. It almost feels like a documentary to me, a miniature documentary. Um, I just it was nice seeing everybody rave about David Yates because he has been such an important player. And they had all this cute footage of him running around the set as, <laughs> as the actors were describing the fact that he always bounces around the set. <laughs> so it, it was, it was a really well done part of it. I, I, I would love to have watched David Yates watching this part of the documentary. It would definitely put a big smile on his face, I think. Um, but yeah, and it was, and it was nice because, he's probably directing many of these movies, if not all of them. Right. So it's good to get acquainted with this five part director of fantastic beasts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. John Voigt even said something about him uh, in this day. He says mm-hmm. there's like an engine in him. He's, he's, he's in the middle of going somewhere else always when he's talking to you because he's got so many other ideas in his head. So mm-hmm. yeah, really nice things said about, David yeah. Yates. Um, I was I was impressed and, um, actually with 
this particular feature within the feature on on him and and you know because I think it's always easy to sit here and and criticize and and you know theorize and do everything that we do but when you get to sit down and you see something like this and I know we'll talk more about it as as they get into detail on you know the sets and the costumes and the props um and and the beasts like you get a much deeper appreciation for everything that goes into making a film like this um the level of detail is close to nothing i you know i have no real basis for comparison but hearing other people including like john voigt um talk about that um and and saying you know they they've went into drawers and cabinets and there were things inside of them and like he got ink on his hands at one point for holding an ink bottle that he probably thought was just a random prop that had nothing inside of it um you know just the level of and and we all were familiar with it from the potter films and the work of you know like Stuart craig and mina lima and so on it's just it's amazing um i was i was really blown away by the 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 detail and then how much effort it, it came across um that david yates puts into these films yeah yeah Yeah. two two quotes close this out one from yates he says there's a huge sense of responsibility and pressure but that's easy to bear when you're with your friends so that was very nice yeah i know i know he's like we have this massive movie series to be getting out but it's cool because we're with friends and then eddie says i think we're all i think we all feel we're bound by a sense of responsibility we don't want to screw this up we all love the potter films and love the world yeah, and love the the you world, worry, that, guys. Yeah, love the world that Joe has written, and just want to do the characters proud. Really, said Eddie. Yeah, said Oscar-winning yeah. actor Eddie Redmayne. So <laughs> it's pretty cool. Like, like honestly, like this is this is as I said, this is a very hopeful, you know, featurette that really takes like a positive view of the experience in the film, and and that's and that's really great. That's really what you want, I think, out of a mm-hmm. uh, feature. Yeah, yeah. And it's also cool because, like, they're all adult Harry Potter fans now. Yeah. Whereas when they cast the original trio, they were kids. They were kind of fans. We hadn't seen the whole series at that point. Now it's like a new generation of Harry Potter lovers bringing the wizarding world to life, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Agreed. So in future episodes, we'll dive more into the special features on the dvd and blu-ray uh we are going to do a fantastic beast commentary it would be great to do just a comment like people always ask we always get emails asking us to do more commentary tracks and i think it's time we will uh also reminder we have a new voicemail line we've gotten a few calls since i'm traveling this week i can't play voicemails through into the show but we will start playing them soon uh the number is get out your contact books get out your pen it's 9203 muggle that's 9203684453 you can call at any time and leave a voicemail and we also have the email it's mugglecast at gmail.com we've got some emails we need to get through soon as well uh since the fantastic beast discussion did take up the majority of our show today uh-huh. We will get back to some news and some other stuff in future installments. Honestly, guys, I'm probably going to so- s- uh, sell my Fantastic Beast Blu-ray because my PlayStation 3 
ends its listing on eBay in a few hours, and then I'm not going to have a Blu-ray player at all. So, <laughs> so you got to make sure to watch the rest of the features, the characters, creature design before you give it up. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll go through some of those in future episodes. I feel like that stuff isn't necessarily new, so it's not exactly going to like give us a lot to talk about, but we'll see. We'll We'll give it a try. Yeah. Sophia, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. How long have you been a MuggleCast listener? Seven years. Seven oh, years. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thank How you for uh, supporting us. How appropriate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're glad we got you on in your seventh year. Thanks <laughs> Thanks for being our Slug Club member over at Patreon. Do you really do you like yeah. our, our Patreon content, like our bonus MuggleCast and our giveaways and that kind of stuff? What's, what's been your overall impression? Um, yeah, it's great. I love, you know, the bonus MuggleCast. It's always great to hear, you know, more discussions about something, you know, that I love this much. And, and like, yeah, the opportunity to host guest host MuggleCast is like incredible. Awesome. Yeah, that's a big draw, right? People, pe- people are liking that. <laughs> I would love to be on some podcasts that I listen to. So I, I, I would definitely do the same. Uh, but yeah, we so we appreciate everybody's support as always. Um, the, the Patreon is why we're back to doing weekly episodes. That's exactly true. That's exactly it. Yeah, boy. Uh, yeah, so I think that's all we have for everybody this week. Thanks for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. Uh, Micah. And I'm Sophie. Oh, I've been calling you Sophia this whole time. Oh You're no, just... like that's just like my nickname. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. All right. I was gonna say I've been doing the same thing. <laughs> No, it was, it was great having you on. Thank you, Sophie, Sophia, Graves, Credence, whatever your name really is. We, <laughs> we appreciate it all. <laughs> Greenavolt. We'll see everybody next week. Next uh, week for episode 315. Goodbye until next week. Goodbye. Bye. Until next week. <laughs> <laughs>